Ah, yes, it's another episode of MLB Morning Coffee. We are back from a brief break. Appreciate everybody that has caught up on some of our past episodes. Great conversations with the likes of Braden Bishop, David Fine, others encompassing the world of baseball and beyond. This is a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Remember, if you have not written a review, please do so. Leave a rating if you would like, and also subscribe. Our subscription numbers are down a little bit lately. Would love to get those back up. And one of the reasons why I think that we are hopefully going to ramp them back up is that baseball might be ramping back up. Now, I want to preface it with this. I want to preface today's episode by saying the following. Just because you see a big flashing headline does not mean that everything is okay. Simply put, you cannot go forward and assume that baseball is automatically going to come back when this plan says it is because there are multiple sides to this argument. You've got side A, which is the owners, and side B, which is the Players Association. So the guy that's been breaking a lot of this news is Bob Nightingale of USA Today. So here is what he wrote in an article late Monday. Quote, Major League Baseball owners approved a proposal Monday requiring teams to share 50% of their revenue with the Major League Baseball Players Association should plans to play this year proceed. Three people with direct knowledge of the proposal told USA Today Sports. The people who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were unauthorized to discuss details said the historic revenue sharing plan is integral in order to address revenue losses with an 82-game season being played without fans beginning in July. MLB officials say that teams are expected to lose about 40% of their gross revenue from ticket sales, concessions, and parking. The proposal is expected to be rejected by the players who are fearful owners would then push to implement a salary cap during negotiations on a new collective bargaining agreement to replace the one that expires December 1, 2021. The players' compensation has never been tied to club revenues. This is the first time MLB clubs would be willing to share revenue with players during the regular season although it exists in the three other major team sports. In the NFL, players get 47% of the revenue, and in the NBA, players receive between 49 and 51% based on expected income. MLB, the only major sport without a salary cap, has shared its postseason revenues with the players. MLB provides financial data with the union, but does not share details of any of their TV deals. The proposal was initially shared with owners Thursday, revised Friday, with owners on their executive committee, and was voted on Monday, according to two of the people. The proposal is expected to be submitted to the union Monday evening. The union has balked at the idea that players should take an additional pay cut since they will lose about half of their annual salary with the season being reduced to 82 regular season games. They agreed to be paid on a prorated basis in their previous agreement on March 26th, which granted players a full year of service time if no season is played. The owner's proposal also outlines details on scheduling, with the likely postponement of the All-Star Game, which was scheduled July 14th at Dodger Stadium, two of the people told USA Today Sports. Training camps, as previously reported by USA Today Sports, will begin in June with an opening day set for July 1st to the 4th. 
teams will have the option of hosting spring training 2.0 at their home facilities or at their spring training complexes in Arizona and Florida, with the hope that all teams can stage games at their own home ballparks during the season. According to two people, the traditional two-league, six-division structure will remain, but teams will only play opponents in their division and the corresponding geographical division from the other league. So teams such as the New York Yankees would play only against their AL East opponents and the NL East, while a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers, who weren't scheduled to play the Houston Astros, now would play them at least six times. The owners have also agreed to expand the postseason from 10 teams to 14 teams, adding an extra wildcard round, the two people said. The active rosters are expected to be expanded from 26 players to 30, with a 20-man taxi squad consisting mostly of an organization's top minor league players being available all season. If the teams are unable to play in their home ballparks, at least at the outset of the season, they could choose to share a major league facility with another team or play at their own spring training complex. Yet the preference by all owners is that the games, even with no fans, are staged at their own ballparks. MLB initially was strongly considering extending the season through Thanksgiving weekend, playing regular season games through most of October, but with a fear of a second wave of COVID-19 in the fall, believe it would be safer to finish the season no later than the first week of November. MLB cautions that their plan remains fluid with the unpredictability of the COVID-19 pandemic, requiring the approval of health experts and government officials. End quote. That is the end of the article. So a couple of things to unpack here. There was one thing that was not in that version of the Nightingale article that was in the previous version, and that is the universal DH. So it's pretty clear that baseball is going to go with a universal DH for the 2020 season in however form it takes place. Okay, fine. I'm good with that. If you decide to not have the pitchers hit, because you're having so many interleague games, fine. I don't have an issue with that. But somebody actually brought up a really good counter-argument to that on Twitter. I don't remember who it was, but the tweet said something to the effect of, this is a competitive disadvantage for the National League teams because NL teams are not going out and signing DHs in free agency. They don't build the DH into a part of their roster plan. The American League teams do. So basically, the NL teams, in theory, are weaker because they don't have that extra hitter that the American League has already built into a part of their roster plan. Granted, it's a minor issue when you talk about getting baseball back up off the ground and something that I feel like is going to happen if baseball does return in 2020. But it very much makes you think that National League teams are going to be at a disadvantage when they are playing American League teams. Now, National League teams playing National League teams, that might not be as big of an issue, although it will be strange to see National League teams playing National League teams and not having pitchers hit. So if you expand the rosters to 30, you'll be able to add an extra hitter. And granted, you have to have at least three major league caliber hitters playing in your minor league system, at least at your AAA level. Three guys that you could bring up right now and expect to hit 250. And at this point, that's all you really need from your DH. You just need somebody that's not going to have the 150 minus average of most pitchers. 
fact, for most pitchers, it's a sub-100 average. But the point being, you just want somebody that is going to keep that spot in the lineup competitive against an American League team that has already built that in. So 82 games, I think, is a good compromise. It's half, basically, of a normal season. And Major League Baseball has come to the conclusion that there will be a second wave of COVID-19, which is why they don't want the season to go into November. And this ultimately becomes the most important point of all of this. If Major League Baseball knows that COVID-19 is going to be an issue come November, they know that their window to be able to play a season is limited. What they've done here is they have basically squeezed a timetable together to where they have to start at this date and they have to end by this date. And I don't necessarily know, with coronavirus being a novel disease, that you can squeeze everything into a preset timetable. The virus dictates what happens here. So if MLB is basically cramming the entire season into a set start and end date at this point... I don't necessarily think this is going to work. But baseball is trudging ahead because they know they can't lose any more revenue. They feel like they have to get some semblance of a season off the ground because there won't be any fans whether there is or isn't a season. That is something that the NHL and the NBA already had the benefit of. They already had most of their regular seasons done and had the revenue from fans and merchandise and parking and concessions. Everything that comes with the game night experience, they already had. Now, it's going to be a challenge for them to start up again just like it is everywhere else, but they still have that revenue in the bank. Major League Baseball never got that revenue in the first place because the season never started. The NFL has a massive TV contract and probably could survive without fans in the stands, just because the NFL rules the day when it comes to TV, because they are national contracts, not regional contracts. And baseball is proposing actually giving players a share of that revenue, which is something that they haven't done before. Now, I think that they're doing this because they don't want the players to ask for more money. They're effectively saying, we'll give you this revenue if we potentially ask you to take another pay cut. Now, when it comes to the situation about players' pay, there are some people that say, well, the players already make enough money, so why do they feel like they necessarily need to make more money when they're already making a sizable amount? On the other hand, maybe the players feel like they're entitled to a certain amount of money given the fact that they already signed these contracts. Now, I want to bring you a tweet from this account called MLB Executive Burner. Now, granted, we can't take anything at face value from an account that calls itself MLB Executive Burner. They do claim to be an MLB front office exec. Here's the tweet which came out at 9.25 a.m. this morning. Highly paid MLB players making $4,775 per day to do nothing. Least experienced get $275 daily. This is the largest class of MLB players. Checks stop June 1st. Stars won't budge on pay cuts, so they say. Either union works on behalf of rank and file or stars. It's their 
choice. So, basically, what's being put together is that the players that are going to refuse this proposal are the ones that are getting paid the most amount of money. The ones that might actually go for it are the ones that feel like their salaries could get elevated. I don't have the background or the knowledge to be able to give you an opinion one way or another to say, is it right for the players to argue for more money? Is it right for the players to go along with what the owners are asking them to go along with? How much should the Players Association fight for? And somebody that I think is much more qualified to do this is Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle is the closer for the Washington Nationals, and he is probably one of the most intelligent and socially aware players in all of Major League Baseball, if not all of professional sports. So Sean Doolittle put out a thread of tweets yesterday basically giving the player's side of all of this. And I want to believe Sean Doolittle before I believe anybody else because I truly believe that Sean Doolittle is as educated on these issues as anybody. So I want to read this thread to you. It starts off with this tweet. Bear with me, but it feels like we've zoomed past the most important aspect of any MLB restart plan. Health protections for players, families, staff, stadium workers, and the workforce it would require to resume a season. Here are some things I'll be looking for in the proposal. Next tweet. Because this is a novel virus, there is still so much we don't know, including long-term effects. On top of respiratory issues, there's been evidence of kidney, intestinal, and liver damage, as well as neurological malfunctions, blood clots, and strokes. Obviously, all of those are not good. Next tweet. COVID-19 patients often develop lung scarring or ground glass opacities. These were found even in asymptomatic patients, and because the virus often affects both lungs, can cause permanent damage in some cases. Definitely a concern for an athlete. Next tweet. Research has shown COVID-19 may cause issues with male hormone ratios, even in younger men, which could lead to fertility complications. Not ideal, extremely suboptimal, zero stars. Next tweet. We know that sharing indoor spaces greatly increases the infection risk, and it's rare that only one person gets sick. Will there be modifications made to clubhouses or other facilities to prevent a spread? So I want to pause the tweet thread there and basically pinpoint this as one of the biggest issues. You are going to have expanded rosters under this proposal, which means more people in an enclosed space, meaning there's a much greater chance that somebody could get infected. And Doolittle attaches a map of the meatpacking plants in various cities where COVID-19 has been an issue, and in the upper Midwest, it has been a huge issue. The next tweet. And we've learned that you release the most virus into your environment prior to symptoms even showing. So how frequently will we be testing to stay ahead of a potential spread and to mitigate as much risk as possible? Next tweet. Fauci, meaning Dr. Anthony Fauci, spoke about conducting an NFL season and indicated a need for daily testing. Baseball players might not be in close contact during a game the way football players are, but there is a lot of shared space in a clubhouse amongst players, coaches, and staff. Next tweet. So how many tests do we need to safely play during a pandemic? And not just tests for players. 
Baseball requires a massive workforce besides the players, coaches, clubhouse staff, security, grounds crews, umpires, game day stadium staff, TV, and media. We need to protect everyone. Next tweet. And that's before we get to hotel workers and transportation workers, which means pilots, flight attendants, bus drivers. They are essential workers. We wouldn't be able to play a season without them, and they deserve the same protections. Next tweet. We need to consider what level of risk we're willing to assume. 80% of cases are considered mild, but what if a player, a staff member, an auxiliary worker, or a family member gets a case that's in the 20% and they develop severe symptoms or chronic issues? One feels like too many. Next tweet. There are a number of players and staff who have pre-existing conditions that they are aware of, and likely more who aren't. We need a plan that seriously considers the increased health concerns of any players, staff, or workers who are at higher risk. Next tweet. And if even mild cases can cause long-term health effects, will there be added health care benefits for players, staff, and workers that will extend beyond their employment and into retirement to mitigate the unknown risks of putting on a baseball season during a pandemic? So basically right now, Doolittle is highlighting every single health concern that it feels like Major League Baseball has not taken into consideration. So you can get on players about the money in this scenario, but you cannot get on them about the concern for health because basically the owners are seemingly willing to march the players out there without any regard for the health because of the revenue. So Understanding the revenue side of things from the player's perspective, yes, they want to be compensated at their maximum amount of financial gain if they're going to be put in a situation where their health is at risk. And frankly, from what Doolittle is saying, they don't want to have to deal with that at all. Let's go back to the thread. This tweet, we don't have a vaccine yet, and we don't really have any effective antiviral treatments. What happens if there is a second wave? Hopefully, we can come up with both a proactive health plan focused on prevention and a reactive plan aimed at containment. Next tweet. Hopefully, these concerns will be addressed in MLB's proposal. First and foremost, number one, what's the plan to ethically acquire enough tests? Number two, what's the protocol if a player, staff member, or worker contracts the virus? We want to play, and we want everyone to stay safe. Final tweet. Sorry, I had to get that out of my system. I'm going to turn my phone off now. Best of luck to my mentions. Stay safe, keep washing your hands, and wearing your masks. I hope we get to play baseball for you again soon. And Doolittle actually sent a tweet today responding to those mentions that he was mentioning. And here's a little follow-up thread. Some people telling me to stay home if I don't want to play. We're asking these questions because we want to play. We want to restart the season again. We also want everyone it would require to resume a baseball season to be as safe as possible. And then he adds one more tweet to this. It feels like the conversation about an MLB restart has shifted to the economic issues, and that's really frustrating. Until there's a vaccine, let's focus on keeping everyone as safe as possible and minimizing risks so we can play baseball again. Basically, what Sean Doolittle is saying here is that the players do not believe that this is worth the risk. More than likely, MLB is thinking that the economic scenarios are eventually going to be the little fish that they hold 
over the players' heads. And I don't think the players at this point are biting. And I don't necessarily know if the players feel like the owners really care about the health and safety of not just the players, but of all staff members involved. This is a continually evolving situation. I will be curious as to see how far it gets before anything is approved, but the timeline is set for the first week of July. Will that happen? Will they get the go-ahead? That remains to be seen. And at least for now, the negotiations have begun, and we will see what MLB owners do in response to the Players Association's demands. More importantly, it's going to be very intriguing to see what the Players Association responds with when it comes to public information. How much of what goes on in these negotiations are we actually going to find out? I'm sure that we'll see something from Bob Nightingale or Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal or any of the big national reporters that have an inside track to this situation. For now, though, at least, we have to just go with the expectation that the owners have one way of doing things and the players have another way of doing things. I will say this in summarizing some of the things from the owner's plan. Having this interdivision play, so basically not three 10-team divisions, but normal divisions with a schedule that only includes teams in your geographical region is probably a good idea. Limiting travel is necessary in order to limit the spread of coronavirus. To me, that is issue number one. But from what Doolittle brings up, is that alone going to help to protect the players and all of the essential workers that go into putting on a baseball game? I don't think so. So I think that they are going to have to run the gamut on every single issue before they can actually make a decision on whether or not baseball can be played under this structure in 2020. But basically, both sides are up against the clock, and if there's going to be a Major League Baseball season, the owners are going to have to make it safe for everyone because I do not believe the Players Association is going to sign off on anything that doesn't guarantee the safety of everyone involved. Nobody has tried to play sports in the United States during a pandemic. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, issue. So let's see how it moves forward, and let's see how the Players Association responds. But for Players Association head Tony Clark, this is your training day. This is the final countdown. This is what you will be remembered for. And I guarantee you that Tony Clark's legacy will be made or broken based on what decisions happen in these negotiations. This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, everybody, and as always, we will catch you in the a.m.